Welcome to the podcast that's dedicating to helping business owners to prepare for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsort, and today I'm talking to Edward Keelan from Octopus Ventures. Hey, thanks for joining me today, Edward. Absolute pleasure. Great to be here. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, look, why don't we kick off and just share with the audience a little bit of an insight of what you do at Octopus, and then we can start to um, figure out what tips and tricks uh, we want to get from you so that we can work best with people like yourself. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so super super quick introduction. Um, I work for a, a company called Octopus Ventures. Octopus Ventures is part of the Octopus Group, so the Octopus Group, which is 13 billion pound fund manager um, and also has the Octopus Energy Arm, which is the energy supply business a lot of people will know about. Um, but Octopus Group is a B Corp, which means that we're not just investing to make a, a strong profit for shareholders, but also we're thinking about community and environment and, and other key stakeholders around that. Um, Octopus Ventures itself, we manage around about two billion uh, pounds into kind of pre-IPO early stage businesses. Um, and invest in all sorts of uh, interesting stuff, consumer tech, deep tech, fintech, um, my, uh, my place in B2B software, which is a bit different. Excellent. So some of the listeners will have heard of what a VC is, venture capitalist, but maybe being too shy to ask, in simple terms, what is it that you do? You, you mentioned you invest in companies. Like, how does that work? So, yeah, I mean, venture capital is generally earlier stage growing companies. So we the reasons why we provide capital um, are so that we can that capital then will help companies expand. So um, we're not we're not looking at generally investing into highly profitable companies. Hopefully we invest and eventually they become highly profitable companies at the stage that we're investing. We're investing, um, you know, often in very early stage revenue. So we've done companies like um, Kazoo and Secret Escapes um depop you know some really well-known brands but when we put our money in it was at a much much earlier stage we take a, a slice of the equity um in order for for that investment and then we kind of work with the company generally over you know maybe anything from sort of three to seven years we'll work with the company sit on their board so a big part of what i do is sitting on the boards of companies and helping them kind of through their growth journey um, and eventually if everybody agrees and they want to do an exit, we will then help them through the exit process as well. So, um, you know, all sorts of different companies, all sorts of different exits. Um, you know, big part of our role is making sure we maximize that value as, as investors, but also for management teams. Okay. So, so startup and, and as you said, B2B and soft software, and um, I think you said geek tech, which I, I loved. Um, so early stage businesses that are, look like they're going to go somewhere fast and really need some capital injected into them to, to, take, uh, to leverage that opportunity. But at the same time, you, you're a, um, a B Corp, so you've got some criteria around, you know, let's you know, generalize it as doing the right thing. But it sounds like you also act as a bit of a big brother to support them and guide them and sit on their board, the voice of experience, the impartial advisor looking after your own interests because you've got an equity stake in the business and when the time comes help the the founders exit yeah i mean hopefully our interests are aligned with those founders you know we are i, I always say you know my biggest advice when taking investment is make sure you're taking it from somebody you get on with because you know for the next for the next probably five years they're going to be 
somebody that's quite important in your life and you're going to hopefully work together on growing that company and you're going to take the advice of that investor because that you should be able to because they've seen the scaling journey over multiple 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 companies so they know they have good networks of people to to contact and to prepare you and to hopefully overcome problems um so yeah hopefully we're very aligned um with founders um and and ultimately the the best the best results are always where you know every that relationship is extremely strong between founders and and, and investors yeah so, so just on that point, it, it sounds like when founders are, are, are talking to you know, yourself, it really pays to be as transparent and honest as you can be about where you're at with the company and where do you want to take it so that you, know, you can find the right match of people to work with them to, to accelerate that journey. Yeah, 100%. I think it's a, it's a really good bit of advice, and, but it, it very much goes both ways. So, you know, and I think most most VC investors will be transparent on the other part, like, for example, you know, if you're, um, we're an evergreen fund at Octopus, we generally manage what they call evergreen funds, which means we don't have a kind of cycle of a fund, it doesn't, often funds are say 10 years in length, so they invest for five years and then they exit for five years. So if you if you're talking to that fund and they're you know they've only got a couple of years left of the fund, well, you know, they're looking for an exit in two years. We're an evergreen fund, which means we don't have this kind of time horizon. We just we just invest and we, we may exit in two years, we may exit in 10 years. It doesn't really matter to us um, as long as you know with that relationship and the company is moving forward. Um, but as a but as a founder and as the founding team, you need to make sure that your invest in what your investor is looking for is aligned with what you're looking for. Because the worst thing would be to end up with an investor that's trying to push you to sell your business, and you're thinking, well, actually, we're we're two years earlier than I want to sell my business. But that but they they're managing a fund that's coming to the end of it, its life, and and it's it has to try and realise some of those investments. So um, I would I would be very clear on both parties, what it is you're looking for, because otherwise you're just going to line yourself up for problems in the future. Yeah, that's a really powerful insight. So Edward, that's that's about what you guys do. What about for the business owners? Where do they need to get their business to? What does it need to look like? How do they need to prepare to before they approach someone like yourself, before they come to you and go, here's my business, to make the conversation worthwhile and you know, we're not wasting anyone's time? So for to, to prepare yourself for investment via VC, <clears throat> I would say that it 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 really depends on what type of company you are. And this is that, you know, we like to we like to just shove everything in one box and just talk about VC being kind of one thing. But the truth is it's a it's actually a big and very much a growing market, VC. Um, and, and whereas historically um, venture capitalists tended to be um, kind of quite generalist in their approach and they would just do kind of everything more and more you know vcs have become more and more specific in what they're looking for so for example if you're a deep tech uh, if you're a, if you're a sort of deep tech company so you know our, our deep tech teams invested in quantum computing and rockets and mind reading technology and these these types of like crazy technology that they're really thinking seven ten years in advance if you're that type of company you know what you're trying to what you're trying to prepare yourself to is really show show your expertise and your ip and why you've got a vision for where you're going to take your product and you know it comes all down to the idea and the concept and your ability to really deliver that message to the vc 
Now, the other end of the spectrum of VC is where I invest, which is into fairly established, so company, well, not established, but, you know, more established companies that are doing maybe they've got two, three million pounds worth of revenue and they're doing enterprise software. Now, if you're if you're approaching a VC like me, who is looking at this kind of enterprise software, then what I'm looking for is, you know, does this company understand its KPIs? Are the financials in order? Are the, you know, do they have the right personnel? Can they, are they in a market which is, is growing or shrinking you know that that's a lot less about just the kind of idea but the preparation needs to also be about all the numbers and all the data and have everything and having all their sort of ducks in a row and in order um and, and i think that's that would be probably the biggest preparation is to make sure you understand what vc you're talking to but also don't be disheartened you know if you're a drinks company um, if you're a drinks company that's doing really well and growing quickly and in all the major supermarkets and you come to me, I'm still going to say no, because it's not my, it's not my strategy, you know, so don't get disheartened at that. You need to try and find the VC that is for you. Um, and so that's about doing a bit of preparation about who you're trying to talk to before you do it. So, so what, what we're saying by the sounds of it is that the business is, it's passed through that startup phase. It, it's no longer just the, the founder and, and a couple of helpers and, and, you know, a number of support staff. We're talking about a business that understands their business model, understands the metrics, has some structure in place, because when they put some in, when you put some investment in, it's going to slingshot growth. So you're making sure that the foundations are in place so that that slingshot doesn't destabilize the business. Absolutely. And that's, and, you know, so the, what's the most underprepared, I would say, companies that are looking for investment are, oh, it might be a better way of answering it, is quite often come, so say, say you are a kind of B2B software company that would be right for me and for the team that, 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 that I work in. Um, quite often what will happen is we'll get a very nice pitch deck. It will be 50 slides long, the pitch deck, and have full of nice stuff. And then we'll say, well, okay, let's see your financial model. And they'll be, oh, we're still working on the financial model. We're still looking, you know, still kind of perfecting our numbers for the next few years and et cetera. You know, to me, that's, that doesn't work. It's like, you know, first thing, the first step is to get your financial model nailed. <laughs> that will give you the answers, which should then go into your pitch deck. It's not to do the pitch deck first and then do the financial model as an afterthought. That's... It, it always amazes me how many people go for, you know, we invest up to you know, 10, 20 million pounds into a company. But even if you're in, you're just asking for, you know, two, three million pounds, it always amazes me. You're asking for fairly large sums of money and yet haven't, haven't prepared the financial plan properly before you're asking for it. That, that just seems crazy to me. Well, it does seem crazy, but at the same time, I'm not surprised because, you know, I've worked with a number of startups and I think, yeah, the number of businesses that have started without a business plan and, and just start on an idea. You know, it, and that's kind of the entrepreneurial spirit. I think we can make this happen. I've identified a, a, a gap in the market or I've identified a need in the market. You know, we need to do this. We need to get going. Um, but it comes down to allocation of capital and whether your business model actually works. Because if, you know, if you're selling widgets for a pound and it's costing you two pounds to make them, then you're going to be, you, you might be growing, but you're going to be losing money. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, I, I'm not a big fan of the, you know, 100 page business plan. You know, I think most good business plans can be done on about 10 pages yeah. and a decent business model, a decent financial model doesn't need to be kind of 20 tabs long and blah, blah, blah. But what it needs to show is, okay, what's driving the growth of your business? you know, what's growing your margins, 
And actually, what's you going to be, especially in the first 12 months, what's your allocation of capital going to be? Because otherwise, how do you make those decisions? Yeah. You just raise money and then you're like, hey, we've got money in the bank. Now what do we do? You know, that's that's a terrible place for the investor to be because it's it's like, well, what happens on day one? You know, you want to actually join. We always talk about it. You want to join a train that's moving, not one that's at the station and ready to start. So we need to we need to demonstrate that we've thought things through, we've tested a few scenarios, we've probably made a few mistakes and, and refined the processes and bits and pieces, and we've got something that it's not going to be perfect, but we've mapped it out to the best of our knowledge based on some um, deep thinking. Absolutely, yeah. I, do. I think that's the, the, the usually the excuse is, well, financial models are wrong um, anyway they're always wrong they never end up being like they are so therefore it's not worth doing and my my answer to that is always it's like the idea of financial financial model is not to is not to produce a forecast that you you end up trying to hit but to at least to uh, at least for you to be able to make decisions about where to allocate capital and understand what's driving your business so yeah i would completely agree with that that it's it, don't let um don't let perfection get in the way of creation yeah it's it's almost yeah I've heard the saying uh, before that goes along the lines it's it's kind of not about the plan you've produced it's about what you've learned along the way of the okay so we've got a plan we've we we know our numbers we know our business model um, we've got a pitch deck what are the deal breakers what what is it if we we come to you you know you mentioned not having the financials are there any other deal breakers out there um, that you just go guys you're wasting the time. Uh, so yeah, the, the, there are many deal breakers <laughs> there are many deal breakers um and i think one of the things funny you know vc is a real positive thing to do and it's great to you know invest in companies and see companies flourish and 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 that's super exciting and i love working with entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs are generally passionate people and, and optimists yeah. the problem is the the, the the other side of the vc world is that you have to say no an awful lot the nature of the job is that you say no 99 times and say yes once so there are often things that um you, you know many different things so if we if we go through them you know people probably number one it's a bit of a cliche but if you if you come and pitch to me and you're like unenthusiastic you don't really believe in your product then chances of me believing it are very limited yeah. and i would say you know what really scales a company is the ability to get great people around you so I'm, when I'm, you might be all passionate and all the rest of it, but if you if you come across as arrogant or unengaged or whatever, then that's not going to work for me because what I want is can you inspire the next level of people around you to come and join your company? Talent is hard to find. You know, talent is really we have our own dedicated talent team at Octopus that does nothing but help companies find their talent. Yeah. But ultimately, that talent's going to work for the founder, and if he or she is not going to be able to inspire that next generation that that's really difficult yeah that's that's a that would be a real um deal breaker i think people that listen so the worst thing is in a pitch meeting you start to play devil's advocate that's part of our job and you know if the founder then gets their back up and tells us why we're being idiots and not listening to us and blah, 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 you think wow that's not a relationship i'm going to be able to have because i'm going to challenge you every single month multiple times and if you can't take challenge then that's probably not going to work for us and and quite often what we'll do in in a in maybe the second or third meeting is actually try and work through a problem together you know try and work for a, a, a problem the company's having to get a real insight into the way in which that founder thinks about problems um other deal breakers is 
size of the market that often you know do, do we think this might be a fantastic idea but if the market is so tiny that it only appeals to a, a niche set of people um you know is there adjacent markets that are easy to switch into maybe perhaps and try and think about it more broadly um but ultimately if you've got a very specific technology that's only solving one very specific problem that's probably going to be a deal breaker and then you know complete lack of understanding over the financials you know that that happens more often than you would believe you know not understanding how much does it cost for you to acquire your customers how much do those customers bring in you know what what do you charge what's your average contract value okay and how many times do they churn how how many customers leave every month um understanding your margins what makes up those margins yeah. that all those things are important lifetime value yeah. Lifetime value over CAC, yeah, all these things. Okay, so we're really looking for businesses. And if we're talking about tech startups, they should be able to access this information fairly easily, I would have thought. They should. I think there is a part, I mean, you know, I'm always conscious that there's a, you don't know what you don't know. And, and you know, you've been in the industry for a long time and I've been in the industry for a long time. So it becomes second nature to us. But if you're, if you're an early stage startup and you've started to get some customers and you're starting to build your business and somebody sells, what's your LTV over CAC ratios? Or, you know, like, where's your financial model that's driven by marketing assumptions and not by top line growth and, blah, 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 and all these things that second age to you, they probably go, well, you know, I didn't know what to Google how to start, which is why, you know, often I'd say if you do come from that point of view, that, that, that place, it is worth trying to find some advice It's worth trying to find people that have done it before and can help guide you through it. Um, I, in, in my opinion, just because often you'll only get one shot with a VC, you know, there's, you might get two if you come back in a year's time, but if he, once a VC says no, and they might, you might disagree with their reasons, they're not then, it's very hard to then convince them otherwise, you know, because they've got, by then they've got another 10 pitch decks that have come in. So, so you're, you're kind of back to the bottom of the queue. So making sure you use that opportunity. What, what's often useful is to say, find somebody you know that's connected to a VC and say to them, can I have a friendly chat? You know, rather than a full pitch, can I just chat and get some advice? That sort of thing. That, that's some, it's a really good approach that, Edward, because yeah. Yeah, what, what I, I, as you've been speaking, I've been listening a whole lot and going, okay, it sounds a bit like, um, yeah, as business owners go on a journey, you know, when, when they first start the journey, they're, they're full of energy and, and focus and they're very directive of the problem they're going to solve and they, they work and to, towards heading in that direction. And then one or two years in, you know, they, they mature and then they, they start to you know, open up a bit and they pull their head up a bit, you know, just because they can, they can and they've got room to breathe a bit now. And now they can start to see the, you know, the questions that they weren't asking before. You know, just because they didn't have the time, they didn't have the headspace capacity to be working on anything else, but they needed to get this thing moving. Now they've got it moving. Some business owners, what I'm hearing, are, uh, are able to open up and go, okay, what don't I know? You know, what can other people add to our business? And they sound like the teenage male that have grown out of their teenage years and, know, and are now open to input from, out, from the outside world and don't have all the answers themselves. Whereas some of us stay as that teenager and um, perhaps you know, resistant, reluctant to take on thoughts from the outside to help make our, our venture even better and, and robust and, and resilient than, than it is at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I was, I, I was going to say another thing about like what really puts me off a of business. And, and actually, especially on the people side, I'd say the, the most thing that puts me off about a business is, is what I say, we're an entrepreneur that's looking for investment more than anything 
is the feeling of that they're dogmatic to their idea. So if you history tells us, history absolutely tells us if you look at almost all successful companies, they look very different today than what they did when they started or what the concept was. You know, YouTube was a dating video app. That's how YouTube started. You know, Facebook was for universities. Airbnb was about, you know, was about just uh, couch surfing and things like that. Uber was a limousine service. They, the great entrepreneurs, what they do is not, um, is, is not go, I know best and I'm just going to fixate purely on my one idea. The best entrepreneurs go, I'm going to listen to the market. Yes, I'm going to believe in myself and I'm going to believe in my vision for what I'm, I'm trying to build, but I'm also going to keep my ears and eyes really open. And if I need to pivot over here, or I need to pivot over there, you know, that, that is what, I'll, that's what I'll do. You know, when Amazon started as a book reseller, you, you know, I'm sure, sure Jeff Bezos was at all times keeping his eyes on what else is, what else is around there? You know, how else could we do distribution? How else could we change things? He's not gone. I think this is how, this is the model. This is what, what, what it be. And if you see businesses that fail, the problem they make is that they, they don't adapt. They don't change. They don't kind of, move with the way that the, the the world's gone and certainly over covid for example you know the entrepreneurs that did really well were the ones that le lent into the situation yeah. rather than try dogmatically to stick with with their current approach it yeah so it, it's it's pulling your head out and thinking okay here's the content of my situation my, my my solution is really good at solving this problem what else could at a contextual level what else could that be useful for is what I'm hearing. It's, it's thinking bigger and going, and it's not a literal application. It's how do I really take what I've got here and apply the methodology, the process, the technology, the IP, whatever it is, where else is this uh, you know, applicable? And, and if you guys are seeing that people are open like that, you go, well, great. You know, this, this initial application may be fantastic, but also we're already thinking about how we can take advantage of that application and introduce it to other areas. And therefore everyone benefits from growth and um, you know, lower costs. You know, the cost is spread over a wider base or the investment is spread over a wider base. Yeah, and just listening to that feedback, customer feedback loop continuously, yeah. understanding you know, when you get your early customers and you, you start to listen to how to improve and adapt and change your product. Yeah, customers know what they want. Um, I'm just reminded there with my very first client when I went out consulting, he taught me a sales process. He says, Daryl, if you want to keep customers for a long time, first you've got to sell them what they want. And once you've sold them what they want, then you can help them to solve, you know, sell them what they really need. Yeah, yeah. You've got credibility and respect. Brilliant. Hey, um, so we've, we've, we've talked about how, you know, what you guys do and, and what, how to uh, you know, approach a, a VC and, and what sort of information and how prepared you need to be when you get there and you're working with the VC. Um, yeah, we talked about what not to do, you know, but what are some of the gotchas, you know, of working with VCs or, or you know, what, what's going to catch, you know, business owners out? What, what's going to be some of the things that they're not expecting perhaps? People, uh, things are not expecting. I mean, during the deal process itself, um, I would say that it usually takes a lot longer um, than uh, than than people realise. You know, it's like, hey, we need to raise investment. Okay, well, you know, let's uh, let's raise investment this month. It's like, well, actually, with a VC, you're probably going to be chatting for a month. Uh, you know, you're going to be then talking term sheets and high level term sheets for another month, and then the, be the deal process. And it's somewhere between sort of four and six months. You you, you may raise. I mean. 
the world has changed the, the timelines have come down but uh, I, I genuinely think you should probably at least have in your mind the founder should think it could take us six months to raise this capital and therefore you don't want to have three three months worth of cash flow left and go out to raise you know the better thing is to have a year's worth of cash flow rate left go out to raise and then be in a much better position in order to um uh, in order to give yourself more choice really and then more more time um i think that the you know other things that people are surprised with vcs is that the level of control that a vc will want and that by control i don't mean control over the company we're backing the founders we want the founders to go off and build the business in the way that they see it and their vision to see it and we'll you know a supportive investor will will support that but we will often want consent rights you know what we can't have is a company you know we're investing millions of pounds worth of other people's money um you know we can't have you decide to go and spend it all on ferraris and uh holiday homes and and this and so there'll be quite there's probably a bit more oversight than 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 founders initially uh, initially think um in terms of the growth story um yeah, generally it takes much longer to grow and a few failed attempts or a few kind of stuttering starts and you know we're prepared for that because we've seen so many companies but you know most founders will come to us very excited about how quickly their business is going to grow and how amazing it's going to take off etc and we'll you know we'll, we'll know it takes a lot longer to hire talent than people think it takes yeah it takes you know it takes much longer to build a sales um kind of flywheel than people think and, and get that kind of marketing and sales link up working well so things just take longer generally. And sometimes there's a bit of luck and sometimes there's a bit of timing. We, we can have a great idea, but it's just not the right time for the market. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I'm trying, I was trying to think of an example um, that I had of a, a, a great idea that was a bad, uh, you know, that might have been the wrong time for the market. But I was going to say that, you know, I was just talking to a company that does kind of helps, helps businesses manage their kind of virtual business cards, which are really interesting. You know, people don't use business cards anymore, but we're all going back to conferences. Yeah. So we're all going back to conferences and we're like sharing LinkedIn. Well, the company can't control how you share contacts over LinkedIn. And if you're, you've got big sales teams, you need to control how people at conferences and things are sharing their, Yep. Their, con their contact bases and that's what this company helps you do um now if they'd have started uh in march 2020 that would have been <laughs> that business had a great idea but was not one that was ever going to fly whereas now obviously we're all going back to conferences in person and sharing details and no one's quite sure how to do it because no one's got business cards anymore and they're absolutely on point yep. so cool okay and uh so so for, for a bit of fun you know what are the sort of things you shouldn't say to an investor Oh, that's what a great question. What are the things that you shouldn't invest in? Probably, probably things like, um, you know, my, my, some of my pet, my, some of my pet hates are things like we only need to win 1% of China. So if we just win, if we just win 1% of China, um, then, you know, we'll be super successful. And actually our, our forecast, um, you know, our forecast shows only winning half a percent of China or something like that. That is definitely something um, that I don't like it's sort of, um, yeah, we don't like our pride at hurt. So if you tell us that we're, it's, the problem is that we don't understand understand what they're... The problem is you don't understand my business. I'm like, but that, is, that isn't my problem. That's your problem because you're not explaining it to me. Um, another pet hate is when people talk about, you know, if they've had failure in... Entrepreneurs that have failed and have restarted, that's fine. Like, I actually don't mind that. I, you learn a huge amount through failure. Oh, yeah. But one of my... Um, one of my pet hates is when is that somebody failed and I asked ask them why did it fail and, and 
it's happened multiple times. They said, well, the problem is the customer didn't understand. And I just think... Not my fault. Wow. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's the, it was the market. It was the this, it was the that. It was like, no, it was, the, it was the customer. The customer didn't understand. And I'm like, that's not how business works. You know, it's your job to educate the customer, not for the customer to try and have to be, edu- you know, to try and have to be educated by you. Um, so, you know, there are, there are probably many things, but I try and appreciate that, you know what, raising funds and talking to VCs is not the, the most fun thing in the world for people to have to do. It takes an awful lot of time. And, you know, for first time fans, it can be quite nerve wracking. So you, you try and give people help and guidance and most i think most vcs um i can't speak on behalf of all of them but i would say most vcs are usually pretty friendly you know we're in this because we love entrepreneurs and we love optimism and we love growing companies and um you know that we're really enthusiastic about it and therefore you know we're going to be generally positive um i have heard some horror stories but i think they're certainly not from octopus they're few and far between hey look edward You've shared some fantastic insights today, and um, you know, you've, I think you've given a really balanced overview of, of what business owners need to do and prepare uh, in terms of preparing their business and preparing themselves to have a conversation with, with someone such as yourself. From your perspective, Ed, what, what's the key message? What would you really love business owners to take away from that conversation today? Um, so, I mean, I was... I- you know, in terms of exit, which I guess is ultimately what your, your your podcast is, is is looking at. So, if I would say ultimately in terms of exit, it, it's very similar to in terms of raising investment. Mm-hmm. A realize that number one, it's going to take you longer than you think. So, and number two, the more prepared you are, the better the journey is going to be. The worst thing to do is to go in naively um, without having you know got got advice from the right people without really having prepared yourself and prepared your financials prepared your documents knowing where you stand and really understanding what drives your business so um yeah those two things is probably the things that key, key takeaways you can't you can't be prepared enough don't go into this process without being prepared whether that's an exit or whether that's a fundraise and num- um and number two just be conscious that it's probably going to take you longer than you believe brilliant Great lessons for life, really. Uh, I think those two principles apply more than just uh, this area. Edward, thanks for your time today and sharing with our, our listeners. I really do appreciate it. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.